On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, Jesus did all the work necessary to save us, but he did not do the work necessary to put food on our table. Our listeners are awesome, and the Apostle Paul teaches us a nursery rhyme. How much good would a bad guy do if a bad guy could do good? None. It is episode 84. Turn it up! This is actually my favorite part of every episode. It's the mild headbang. Well, surprise you there, didn't I, Bearded Beaver? Yes, you uh-huh. did. Full of surprises. Hey, we got a special guest in studio today. The wonderful, the illustrious Bailey, Woo-hoo. who is sitting down, by the way, for those of you watching on video. <laughs> it is bring your daughter to work day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and since your daughter's awesome, we were like, hey, let's get her on a mic. Agreed. And you graciously agreed to it. So thank you, Bailey. Good to have you here. Episode 84 is dedicated to our listeners. Our people are awesome. And this popped into my head because I was looking through these questions and I'm like, man, people are reading their Bibles and coming up with such good questions. I just dig it. So it is an absolute joy to field some of these questions, make disciples and, uh, you know, kick around the word of God. Also, when we took a break for, uh, you know, between seasons and stuff, there was an outcry, I say. Nearly a pitchfork rebellion. Really? Yeah. We want more episodes. So we are back by popular demand. By popular demand, because yeah. we love you. Because we love you, and those three people were really loud. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Hey, uh, I think this is the last time we're going to announce this because at some point we're going to be recording it. So we got kids episodes coming up. So uh, have your kids write in questions, or you they can tell you if they're too young to write them and uh, get us your kids Bible questions. We're going to do it on video here. We're going to chop them up into little segments, release them in, you know, five minute daily bobs or whatever. And we will talk to your kids and answer their questions and give you some more material to disciple them with. So anyway, um, I've gotten some of these questions. I think you've gotten a couple kids. Bible questions are awesome because it's stuff that we wouldn't think of a lot of times, you know, so lots and lots of fun. Uh, get those into us. Firstly, wisdom. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. And all God's people said... It goes like this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest... And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I see this is uh, normal discipleship material in the Nissen home, huh? Every once in a while. a boy. Good. I can relate to Solomon here. I can relate to Solomon not because I'm wise. I'm not. Not because I'm a king. I'm not. And certainly not because I have 300 wives and 700 girlfriends. Thank God. I don't. You guys don't have to fire your pastor. But I can uh, relate to Solomon here. And by the way, so can the bearded beaver here. Uh, in that we cannot stand when a man can work and just doesn't. Oh. Know what I'm saying? Mm. We all understand disabilities. We understand hard times, being out of a job. We understand financial independence and retirement. But we don't understand laziness. What we have no patience for is a man, or woman for that matter, who wastes his or her life doing things that just don't matter. Th- stuff that doesn't produce, stuff that doesn't help. 
and when someone could really be contributing to the world around them and developing their own character in the process, when a man could be shouldering the glorious, fulfilling responsibility of providing for the ones that he loves. He could earn the respect of everyone in his company and go places in life. He could be joining the noble struggle of every good man who has ever been able to look himself in a mirror. And with all that potential and possibility sitting in front of him for the taking, he says, nah, I hate it. I think I will sit here instead and suck my thumb while my mom pays my bills so that I don't have to encounter any resistance. Now, here's the question on my mind, Pastor Ben. Why would anyone pass up a chance to live a meaningful and respectable life? And the biblical answer is a man would pass that up because he's a scumbag. The Bible's answer is that lazy people are bad people. Now, to us, that sounds judgmental. It's like, hey, man, judge not. Let's keep yourself be judged and whatever. Calling somebody a bad person is like the cardinal high-handed sin these days. Thankfully, Solomon was born a few years before the PC police, and Solomon don't care. <laughs> He's not bowing to the culture. Solomon says, hey, listen, you blob of goo. You know those little ants that you step on as you're going to the mailbox to collect your welfare check? They deserve more respect than you do. And then he takes a lesson from General Revelation. Check it out. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Quick facts about ants. Now you guys are going to know this. They work 19 hours per day, and they also know how to siesta. They take 250 naps a day of less than a minute each. But even in their naps, they're standing up. Now, 250 naps at about a minute apiece, that adds up to five hours a day of sleep and 19 hours of work. My dogs. Dang. Respect. Yeah. Ants can lift 100 times their own body weight standing upside down on an inverted smooth surface. Now, if we go mathematical on it, we uh, define work as force times distance, then let's break it down like this. Let's say that an ant's work day is spent carrying 100 milligrams of weight in addition to its own body weight. So that's double its body weight. At the speed of one inch per second, which I think is reasonable, that is 0.85 joules of work per day. You scale that up to human proportions, that's 13.1 uh, megajoules of work per day. Now, what does that mean? That means that that's the work required to carry a 50 pound rock 36.6 miles. So that's here to, what, for our local listeners, that's West Richland to, I don't know, Sunnyside. A 50 pound rock, all right? If you're walking at a brisk three miles per hour with no breaks, that's a 12 hour day. All right, 12 hour day with no breaks, carrying a 50 pound rock, and that is baseline standard work for an ant. Now, that is unfathomable to lazy people. They say, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. And the ants do it for no pay, no reward of any kind. They get to eat fungus at the end of it. That's their reward. It's just the right thing to do, and so they do it. And then Solomon says, and they do it all without a boss. Because the truth of the matter is, they do have a boss. Their creator is their boss, and they know how to live according to their purpose. So, he continues, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? You're getting outperformed by ants. When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come upon you like a, a robber, and want, meaning lack and hunger, like an armed man. You, you ever hear that? Oh, five more minutes, man. Five more minutes. Oh, <laughs> How about like every morning? Six hours oh, later, it's like... <laughs> not shout, now I'm not pointing out anybody. No. Nothing, nobody at all. No. But I mean, when, I mean, when kids are growing, they do need extra sleep, right? They so do, that happens. That's, that's a legit like phase of life. But when it's time to be producing in life... It's like, yeah. I, I had a roommate once 
refused to get it. He said, I'm not getting out of bed for less than $15 an hour. And I'm like, you're only worth four. So get your butt up and pay rent anyway. So what he's saying here, Solomon's saying is if you don't get to work, you're going to starve to death and you deserve it. So in our culture, it's possible to be lazy without starving to death. It's sad, but it's true. You can do it. And sometimes what repentance looks like is getting a job. Now, if you're retired, that means go and serve somewhere for free. No problem, right? We're not talking about just income here. We're talking about work. We're talking about labor. In the Protestant Reformation, one of the great doctrinal recoveries that happened was that the reformers spent quite a bit of time on the doctrine of vocation. What is God's perspective on work? And the short version is he votes yes. So all work done as unto the Lord is pleasing to God. We see this in the first, uh, the the uh, in, sorry, in First Timothy in the New Testament, First Timothy five eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So God's will for the Christian is to get to work. Second Thessalonians three, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command: if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you are walking in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So Solomon is saying something that really shouldn't have to be said. And yet, because of the fallenness of the human heart, it just does need to be said on occasion. So there you go. There's your encouragement from the word of God. Get to work. We would prefer you not starve to death. And uh, we'd prefer that uh, you live according to your purpose, which is to produce a product, a product of divinely empowered fruitfulness and to do so with nobility. Now, let us list out the good reasons not to work. I may have forgotten some. Good reasons not to work. Number one, Sabbath. Yeah. Right? Take, Take a day a break. Off. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Be still and know that I am God, right? Take that gift from the Lord. Don't work on the Sabbath. Number two, when your workday is over. It's a good thing to not have to work like the ant 19 hours a day and then go and sleep for five and get back to it. You kick your feet up, yeah. you know, hang out with your family, wrestle your kids, read a book. Good stuff, right? These are the gifts of God. First Timothy 6, 17, God has given us all good things to enjoy. And free time and recreation is one of them. Another good reason not to work, disability. Sometimes these things happen, right? There is a grace and understanding for these things. That is not sinful. It's something to struggle through, not to give up in the midst of, but we get that. And then hard times. Like, let's just say you're unemployed. If you lose your job on a Thursday and you don't go to work on Friday, I don't think you're in open rebellion against God. Right? Certainly not. But even if even if you are unemployed, I would say, take an example from my old man here. He lost his job. He got laid off. Because when you work at Boeing, that's what you do. You just, you get laid off on occasion. And uh, he was looking for work almost full time, you know, just cranking out resumes, doing this, that, and the other thing. And then... He was doing service projects that needed to get done. So when my dad was unemployed, we shoveled a lot of gravel to help people and, and you know, take care of their driveways and stuff. So he was still working even when he was uh, between employers. So there's a good example for you. Unemployment, we understand laziness is not the same thing. Avoid that at all costs. Am I forgetting any categories of when it's okay not to work? I can't think of any. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few allowances in there. Yeah. And yeah. of course there's grace and stuff like that yeah. when it comes to that. So I think, I think a lot of the dom the, the dominant thing should be, are we, are we defaulting to grace now? Again, you know, do we use our grace as a, as a reason to sin? That would, yeah. that would be a pastoral, or even, even just a good discussion to have if you feel like that. But you know, I think, I think, yeah, the, the default should be, we are designed to work. 
Yeah. And this is only one side of the coin, right? Yeah. Like the, the old phrase that comes from Christians, we are human beings, not human doings. Yeah. We're not just here to produce, but we're not here for less than that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, even just the, the, the you know, some, some folks might even say, oh, well, you know, work is a, is a, is a result of the fall. You know, nope. we were designed to live in this garden. Swing actually, no, we're not. We were designed to guard and keep the garden. We were actually designed to to do work in cultivation. That's why you don't let lazy people exegete the Bible. Exactly. You can explain the Bible to me when you get a jab. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and and you think about it, right? That I mean, and it's it's not even it's yeah, it certainly is a is a point of frustration. But it's also almost a point of I don't want to say. Well, maybe I say pity. It's like if somebody is like not doing what God has called them to do, it's like, man, you have so much potential. Jump mm -hmm. out. You know, it's like, I don't want to, you know, to someone who might be struggling or might be sitting there, you know, going, oh, great. I'm, I'm in my mom's basement and I'm listening to this podcast. It's like, well, no, you're, you're, you're better than this. You can do it. You yeah. know, you, you can get a job. I mean, yeah, the first one might, the first one might suck. Guess what? It sucked for every mm -hmm. one of us. What was that Chris Rock bit? <laughs> you ever had a job that you hated so much you spent extra time in the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been yes, there. We have. But yeah. the beautiful thing is, is that you can and it and and look, there's there's something about the satisfaction of a job done. Oh yeah. Right? It, you're you sleep better. You really do. You do. You and think, I can only yeah. speak for men on this, but when you get home, especially if you're married and you got kids, you get home and after a hard day of work, you feel respectable. Totally. Right? It's like you, you carry yourself differently in the home. Yeah. And it feels good to be exhausted after a hard yeah. day of work. In fact, there were studies, I, I think, um, there were notable instances when people would go and give like charity, right? Mm -hmm. And these people would go into these various neighborhoods and they would just give charity. And 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 what you would see is you'd see maybe the kids come to the door because they do they're getting like free stuff. But what would happen is the guy would duck out the back. He was so embarrassed at receiving charity, and so that was one of the things that they that um, I think it was the the authors of um, mm, when helping hurts. Oh yeah, they talked about changing the way that they do charity so that they can empower men to be productive. It's a good book. That was amazing. So yeah. anyway, yeah. So so it's not just, you know, stop being lazy. It's like also you can work. You can do it. You can do it. I was perfectly happy stalling out on the stop being lazy point, but you're nicer than me. This is, we, we just good cop, bad cop, you guys, is what happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you, you can tell who what I default to. My message is, you suck! And Ben's message is, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, for, for the this isn't that's on this one, I'm going to pass this over to our illustrious guest, Bailey. The podcast princess. But I'm, but I'm going to take... Nice. Yes. Yeah, the podcast princess. I'm going to take uh, number one there because it involves playing some stuff. Oh. All right. Bailey, would you please, ever so kindly, read out number one? All right. Let's reveal the new bumper music. Oh, yeah. Our boy Paul sent over... The new bumper music. Now, this is a little bit long. We'd have to probably trim down, maybe take out one of the reps or something like that. But what do you think? We're Guys, we're making decisions hey, live on this air. This is a live discussion. <laughs> well, I mean, pre-recorded live. Pre-recorded live. Discussion. Saturday night live, live. All right, here we go. Base, the base. Oh, right there. That double kick. 
shit. Oh. Does a hard good. Seriously. And my favorite band is Dream Theater, so the third section of this is like. <laughs> I mean, this does my heart good. I don't know how many. Oh, man. And he put in the pig squeal. I think that was the tribute oh, just for you. Oh, I love it. Oh. Yeah. So you we'll have to figure out how to integrate that. I'm, I don't know yeah. if that's outro material or intro material or what. That might be like a, I wouldn't say dance break, but headbanger break after, <laughs> like, a, after like a particularly more frustrating <laughs> question. Headbanger break! Yeah, yeah. That question was horrible and now we're mad. Be back in 30 seconds. Yeah. All right. And then also, now she requested that we keep her name out of this. Okay. But we got new sample outro blurbs. Okay. Right. So let's see how these go. Now, she recorded a couple of different options. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. First John 419. We love him because he first loved us. Not bad. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. We want you to know that Christ made you on time and on purpose, and that he has done everything necessary for you to know him. We hope you find forgiveness, freedom, peace, and eternal life by meeting him. Please reach out to us, and we would be happy to help. We love him because he first loved us. A little long, but we get the gospel in every episode. Maybe something mm-hmm. to think about. Here's another option. Are you hungry for more wisdom? Then read Proverbs, you stooge. Quit making these poor guys spoon feed your lazy <laughs> and go straight to the source, you fat milk gurgling baby. Are you hungry for more wisdom? Oh, that one kind of came across. <laughs> 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 Okay, shout out to our wonderful <laughs> our <sister>. unnamed. <laughs> Hold on, there's another one. Should we put a little warning for parents? <laughs> All of a sudden, their kids go like, "Mom, <laughs> get out of the chair!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. parents, uh, we. Oh, hmm. This is <laughs> another one. Hungry for wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can also find us on YouTube and all the other social medias. If you're interested in stalking Dustin, don't. If you're interested in stalking Ben the Bearded Beaver, his home address is 700 <laughs> Washington. He usually goes to sleep around 10 p.m. and leaves his blinds open so you can stare at him. The ladder is around the left side of the house. We love him because he first loved us. If you are enjoying Hungry for Wisdom, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share it. Leave us a five-star rating if you think we've earned it. We love him because he first loved us. So what do you think? Which of those options? Do <laughs> I love you, dear listener. I just want to warn you that, uh, first of all, thankfully, that's not my address. Yeah, she but did change the just, real address. Secondly, um, <laughs> just a heads up, I, I, I am armed. <laughs> mm, yeah. So just... Uh, <laughs> if I, see, I can't be responsible if I see some creepy face outside my window for what happens. I apologize. Please that don't was, put me in that situation. <laughs> that was a joke because we were talking about like, oh, as we get more listeners and stuff, you know, and I'm just explaining this to our listener base. We There, there were a lot of jokes getting cracked about like, man, this podcast is getting big. We're going to be like celebrities. And then, yeah, you know what comes with celebrity status is like weird things like stalkers. So anyway, that's... Yeah. All right, so we'll have to rock, paper, scissor on which one of those we're going to uh, go with in the end. I do like the stooge one. <laughs> That's awesome. <sighs> <laughs> 
Get off. Never mind. What are, yeah. what are the odds that, that producer Tim's going to call me up and say, dude, you can't release that. We got to edit that part. Um, We're going to find out. Let's see here. I'm going to go at, I'm going to go at, at 30%. Producer Tim, you are the most responsible person involved in this podcast. Yes. I just want you to know that and we love you. All right. What else we got as far as this is and that? Now that all the important decisions have been made. <laughs> all right. Number two, if God doesn't change, how come he changes his mind? I'm thinking of Genesis 6, 6 and Exodus 32, 14. I love our listeners. Ooh. Love it. Yeah. Such a good question. All right. Let's read them. You, you want Genesis or you want Exodus? Um, I'll take Exodus. What, what are we looking at? Exodus what now? Um, let's see here. Exodus 32, 14. Okay. All Genesis right. 6, 6. So Genesis 6, 6. This is coming up before the flood. It says, and Yahweh regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So he made a decision, and then he made a different one. He said, I'm going to, actually, the verse right after that. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So God made stuff. Mm -hmm. Then he said, never mind, I'm going to unmake stuff. Yeah. Looks like he changed his mind. What do you got? Yeah, and you have, and the Lord, uh, Exodus 32, uh, 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing them, bringing upon his people. And you also have, you also have, you know, Jonah, right? The whole idea of Jonah walking through Nineveh saying 40 days and Nineveh is no more. And then God had mercy and mm -hmm. he spared Jonah, even though inspired, he spared Nineveh, right? And then Jonah throws his little pity party because mm -hmm. he's like, hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was, were, I was in for some carnage. Man, I was looking for some fire and some brimstone, man. What is up? And now you make this plant blossom over me and now yeah. you take it away? And Life God, sucks. Yeah, God's like, I gave you mercy. Should I give them mercy? And yeah. Jonah's like, I understand your rhetorical question and that the answer should obviously be yes, but my answer is no, yeah. burn him. But it says that God really did change course. I mean, that's the way that it's written down. In fact, if I remember right, you guys might want to check me on this. In Exodus 32 right there, uh, when it says the Lord relented, it's the same Hebrew word as repented. And the Lord repented from his plans. He turned away and went the other direction. So if God doesn't change, what's up with all the change? Hmm? What else are you looking up? Well, I was going to look at James, right? You're right, because right, James 1, every good and perfect. Oh, yeah. Every, James 1, 17, right? Every good, and gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is coming from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him, there is no variation or shadow due to change. Malachi 3, 6. I, yeah. the Lord, do not change. Yeah. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not consumed. Yeah. So what's up? Oh, well, I think in some ways you could look at the prophecies, right? I, if, if I'm recalling correctly from some studies I was doing in um, Hebrew prophecy, it might even be ancient Near Eastern prophecy, is that there was an expectation that God would say something and there was an expectation that people would repent and then that would not happen. And so it was almost like a guide rail, right? Right, like the, the warnings serve as the assurance that that yes. won't happen. Yes. Which is and kind of so, the theme of the book of Hebrews. Like, how do, you, how do you keep people from turning away from God? Yeah. You tell them they're going to turn away from God. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right? God is a constructing, he's constructing a border that has really spiky, <laughs> really, really sharp spikes on it. Then he's saying, stay away from it because I love you. Mm -hmm. And that's, so in some respects, when, when we see in the narrative that God changes his mind, I think if I'm, if I'm recalling my, my studies correctly, that, that there's kind of an expectation that if, the people repent, like in Nineveh or in in Israel, then God, yeah, does change His mind. Mm -hmm. But it's part of 
that's part of the expectation, part of the plan yeah. of of redemption in many ways. So, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take agreeing with everything you just said. Uh, I'll take a different angle on it. Go right ahead. Um, so I mentioned the uh, the reformers in the the Devo today, right? And some of the doctrines they recovered. Yeah. To go back to the reformers, John Calvin made this statement that God talks baby talk to us, and so all he says, all speech from God is condescension. So God is coming down to speak on our level, and there are necessarily limitations to the way that he is communicating because he's infinite and we're not. So he's cramming eternal revelation of himself into a box that we can understand. And in order to do that, he's always using terms that um, that match up with our experience. Mm -hmm. And so when he declares one thing, turns around and does a different thing, we can look at the whole of scripture now since it's been completed and look at the meta narrative of what's going on and how mm -hmm. the prophecies uh, or how, how the uh, warnings serve to actually fulfill the prophecies rather than change the outcome and things like that. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, both of these examples that were asked about come from the Torah, right? This, God was essentially a brand new revelation mm -hmm. to, to these guys. And so there's sort of this progressive idea of like, what's God like? Well, he's like this. We didn't have the rest of the story yet, but right now it looks like he said something and then turned around and did something different. In reality, all of that is encompassed within his plan. So it's like, well, what happened, God? I thought you were going to destroy Israel and now you're not destroying them. And God's like, okay, little buddy, I changed my mind kind of like you do. But then you zoom out and he says, oh, I, I never changed my mind. Our view of God has to encompass all of this stuff. So basically God speaking baby talk to us. Did he repent? Yeah, not in the sense of, of being wishy-washy going back and forth and um, intending to do one thing and then doing another, but in the sense of he declared an action that if, if X, Y, and Z happens, here's what I'm going to do. And he meant every word of it. Mm -hmm. But then his grace also stepped in to make sure that X, Y, and Z didn't happen. So now you know the character of God, that he's going he's gonna to do this under these circumstances. That's true. But then he changes the circumstances so that that doesn't happen. It's called grace, yeah. right? It's called mercy. So yeah, God's talking baby talk to us in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I, and I think that, I mean especially as we look at the Old Testament, you see all these apparent contradictions, right? You know, I am a God loving and faithful and merciful and yet relenting from, you know, but but I'm relenting from my anger, but I will also not let the guilty go unpunished, right? So you see these, these two almost kind of contra contradicting statements, mm -hmm. and yet, uh, and then we also see God being, he demands holiness from his people, and yet his people seem to fail so often. You got mm -hmm. Abraham, right? You know, Come follow me, Abraham, and then okay, let's take down two dynasties while we're at it. You know, um, <laughs> come follow, you know, Noah. You know, you're going to save my people, and then plant a vineyard and get drunk afterwards. You, you, you have, um, yeah. Noah it, found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he was righteous, and yeah. he got hammered at the first available opportunity and fell asleep naked. Yeah, nice. And I think that, in, and you look at all that. You even look at Exodus. Um, I want to say it's thirty. Four. Um, well, I think that's the one you just quoted because yeah. that, and, and I turned to it. Let me just read this and then you can yeah. pick the ball up and run with it. But this is two chapters after the verse that our yeah. listener is asking about, right? Okay, so Exodus 34, 6. Um, well, I'll start in verse 5. So Yahweh descended in a cloud and stood with him there with Moses and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh so Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, comma, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Yeah. So we have a God in whom fits all of this. Yeah. And, and to that point then, 
this is where I would pick up, like, for example, Paul picks up maybe some of these thoughts in Romans 3, mm-hmm. right? Where he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that's in Jesus or Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, it's a full satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. And this is the important part. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, look. That is, okay. Quick vote. Quick straw poll. We have an odd number here so we can have a tiebreaker. Ooh. Is that the best passage in the Bible? Dude. <laughs> at the moment, I'm inclined to vote yes. Romans 3, 21 and following to, you know, to whatever, 21, 23, right around there. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So the whole issue here is how can God punish sin and forgive sin? How's that even possible? How can he be a God who is non-contradictory, right? Is perfectly self-consistent, is everything that he is at all times, and never has one of his attributes give way to another? How is that possible? And yet he's perfectly just and punishes sin all the time, every time, with no exceptions, in absolute perfect detail. And yet he forgives people and doesn't punish their sin. Who is sufficient for these things? And then shows up who? Jesus. And he comes down and he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to judge the sin. I'll take it on myself as a representative for all of mankind. The new Adam, which Paul says in the next chapter of Romans in chapter, well, no, two chapters later in chapter five, he's like, you got a new representative. I'm going to take all of the sin of humanity, take it on myself. We're going to get that judged by the father. The judge of all the earth shall do right and judge sin. Mm -hmm. But the judge of all the earth shall do right and not punish the same sin twice because that would not be justice. That would just be revenge, right? And so since that, son, since that sin has been judged, there is no condemnation left yeah. for those who are in Christ Jesus because our sin yeah. has already been judged in him. He is just, and he is the justifier of the one yeah. who has faith in Jesus. And you think about that, as, and, and, I, and I hope I'm not stealing any thunder from when you preach through uh, Exodus 34, but... They won't remember this by then. That whole idea of how do we then know God it, that the only way that that whole section makes any sense, the only way that God makes sense when it comes to his justice and his mercy and his love and and all of that, it only makes sense because of Christ. That yep. whole plan, he was crucified before the foundations of the world. It was in plan that he would display himself to us through Christ, right? So then you got, again, going back to Hebrews, right? God has spoken to us in his son. Yeah, and going to my bailiwick, John 1, Woo. right? Jesus has exegeted the Father to us. Amen. He explained him. So without Christ, the character of God... Okay, would it be heretical to say this? Without Christ, the character of God is nonsense. Our Jewish homies would not appreciate that statement. But I think it's true. Too much? You know, no. I I, I don't think it's too much um, because... It does because yeah. Then then the whole the whole Torah, the the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, the the writings, the law, and the and the prophets, they don't make sense without Christ. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, it seems like the, the most maybe a more charitable way to say that would be. Um, do you see what I did there? I got you to repeat what I said, which was horrible, and now I'm going to correct you. So well, see, that's how. Jeez, Ben, calm down with that, man. Gosh. You trying to offend all the Jews? You're such an anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe a more charitable way for. This is going to get banned from YouTube. (laughs) Our second video is getting banned from YouTube. You saw it here first, folks. No, you didn't, because it's going to get taken down. Um, (laughs) 
This is all meaningless at this point. I'll use Rumble. Maybe. <laughs> and then you can post on Truth Social to write in your questions. Um, maybe a more charitable way to say this would be, without Christ, we have these irreconcilable paradoxes in the character of God, which just come across as contradictions. Because they have to be reconciled and there's no other way to do it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that makes sense, right? I mean, you got, you got John 5, right? You know, all you search the scriptures and think in them you have life uh, and they yeah. all testify of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think of, I was trying to think of that passage where, I think it's in John 5, right? Where they say, show us the father. Or is that, where is that? Is that No, 10? that's, uh, that's, what is that? 14 with Philip. Yeah. How can Lord, you show say, us this the father and it's enough for us. And he says, Hey, yeah. if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that. So there I, yeah, I got my address off. But yeah, I mean, you have you have all that. If Jesus is saying no, I'm I'm the representation of God Himself. Yeah. Without Boy, some, somebody misstates your address on an episode, and all of a sudden you're misstating addresses from the Bible. Wow, yeah, that's true. I'm mm. glad I'm glad that it was misstated. <laughs> the real one is okay. Oh, question yes. two. <laughs> all right, save us, Bailey. Yeah, at, at some point you're going to need to be the adult here and just jump <laughs> yeah. in, and be like boys. <laughs> Okay, guys. <laughs> All right. Number three. Okay. Can non-believers do good things? Romans 7, 18 says nothing good dwells in our flesh. So if we are not born again, our flesh is the only thing operating. Therefore, we could do nothing good. But it seems obvious that unbelievers can do good things that are beneficial for the world and loving toward their neighbor. How can these things be sinful? What are some, some of these good things being referenced, you think? Unbelievers can do things that are good, beneficial to the world around them. Maybe like canned food drives or, you know, community gardens mm-hmm. or... Uh, well, and even yeah. things like loving marriages and raising children with yeah. uh, solid moral compasses. Yeah. Compasses? Compi? Compasses. <laughs> so inconsistent in the English language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the English language. The only right? one worse is it's German. German. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's obvious that, that unbelievers can do good things. And so how can the Bible say that no good thing dwells in us? We can't do any good apart from Christ. Romans 14, 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. Hebrews mm-hmm. eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him. Uh, how, how can we look at somebody doing verifiable good and say that's not good? Excellent question. Yeah. And I dig that. I would, and, and I would say that, you know, Part of it is is that is is what is your we have to maybe understand what is good versus what is good towards say for example salvation. Some of the reformers might have even said we are not capable to do good works unto salvation. We can't save ourselves. Looking back at Isaiah chapter sixty four verse six, I think right. All of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Even the we 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 talk about this in church. Oftentimes we say we can't bring our sack of good works and think that God's going to go oh. Good job, yeah. right? Because all of that is tainted by sin. Even yeah. our best, even even I as a Christian father who wants to raise my kids, there are, even those motives, um, they can be tainted by sin. Sinful root, sinful fruit. Yeah, right? so so in all of that, to you know, for can, can people do good things under common grace to their neighbors? Absolutely. And, and, and it's good to receive that and be thankful, right? He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, the, 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 the goodness of people around us is something to be, thank, to, be, to be thankful for. That does not necessarily mean it is a work 
that would, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't contribute to their salvation, mm-hmm. right? There was only one work that we can trust to contribute to our salvation. That was what Christ finished on the cross. Yeah. So let me rephrase it maybe this way. Um, when we're talking about the goodness of God, it's a different category of operation than human moral goodness. Certainly. It's just a higher yep. goodness. It's a higher absolute. It is something that we don't have mm-hmm. access to. So yeah. context matters here. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Can you do something good? Well, if by good, we mean beneficial to our neighbor, then yes, an unbeliever can help somebody who has fallen into a ditch. Mm -hmm. That's good in the world in which we operate. But man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. So now let's go up from God's perspective and say, okay, what is actually truly good? And anything that is done by the the poisonous root of sinful humanity has it. Give that, uh, that illustration about the blue ink. How do you say oh, that? Uh, if everything were, if, if sin was uh, blue food coloring, everything would have a tint of blue. Right. So God looks at this and he sees, okay, this is, you know, this is blue. But if something good happened there, what that is, is an echo of his good design and the image of God shining mm-hmm. through somebody that doesn't even know to acknowledge the image of God shining through them. So actually that person doesn't even get credit for that thing in eternity. That's just God's good design showing mm-hmm. up. You called it common grace. That's exactly what that is, right? And so is it good in the in the the record books of heaven and the answer is no because only perfection only stuff with no blue food coloring gets entered into the record books of heaven and we just don't have the ability to produce that so we can do moral earthly good we cannot do absolute good now once we're born again christ is in us the holy spirit indwells us and he can actually work things out through our hands and through our mouths and to the outside world that might look the same it might look like moral good it might look like just yeah it's charity it's feeding somebody it's loving your family these are universally or almost universally accepted as as good things okay but god sees that it was done not from our own impetus but because he worked it out in us and now it's a godly good and it's acceptable to him because it is christ who works within us yeah to will and to work for his good pleasure there we go yeah great question Excellent question. All right, what's our last question, or do we have another question? Yep, we have another question. Nice. All right, Dustin and Ben. It's oh, no. weird calling you by oh, your first name. A, yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> whenever they whenever they invoke the first name, they're they're establishing some kind of connection <laughs> that that endears us. But then they're reeling us in. They're reeling us in just to club us on the head like That's a baby right. seal. I feel like I'm being manip- manipulated here. There we go. All right, which texts challenge some part of your theological system? None. My theological system is tight. Yeah, none. Mm-mm. I'm a, a Bible. It's it's all good. No creed, but the Bible, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh I'm my. A, I'm a bibliotarian. I just yep. read something and I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me think, dude. 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 I bet we could guess each other's. Okay. Oh, man, I know I shouldn't have suggested no. that. This is going to make yeah. it, both of us really mad. Like, I can answer that fine. Stop it. Like, no, no, you can't. I'm just thinking like from a you're you're coming from like kind of a more structured, reformed framework than me. Certainly. Right. Yeah. Um, the I don't we, it's been a long time since we said this on an episode. I think it's anybody who's going to find a difference in doctrine between you and me has got their work cut out for them. Right. Mm hmm. We, we pretty much line up on the things that we believe on a doctrinal level. However, you've got a 
maybe more well articulated system of fitting these things together. Whereas I'm a little more piecemeal because I kind of, um, you know, I, I was, I wasn't raised in the framework that I now operate within mm -hmm. <laughs> I sort of cobbled it together over, over years. Um, and am cobbling still. Mm -hmm. But if you come from a more structured framework, then every every theological system is going to have its verses yes. that other people are going to look at and say, yeah, but that doesn't square away with this. So for example, from a reformed structure, you're going to have things like, um, and to be honest, this is one of mine, like First Timothy, um, oh man, two, five, is it? Where God desires that all men, men should be yep. saved and come to, the, come to a repentance, come to the knowledge of him, right? Yeah. And so it's like, well, the the typical the typical reformed question there is well what does it mean if he desires all men to be saved but he only elects some right mm -hmm. i'm going to zoom out a little bit there and say okay if he desires that all men be saved regardless of whether somebody comes to christ through election or through their own free will you've still got a god who's choosing not to save everybody mm -hmm. so i don't think arminians get off the hook on this one yeah and i think this one challenges everybody's theological system unless you're a universalist which yeah. if you're a universalist you're not a christian so that's a problem but what does it mean that god desires all men to be saved but he doesn't so desire to save everybody that he does it now i've got answers to that but my answers are the best answers I've been able to figure out from the text, right? I don't yep. know that they're perfect. Yeah, I the, I mean, you obviously have, right, God sets up his moral desires, right? He obviously has moral desires for his people. Mm -hmm. and, Where, and Can, yet you, can people, you define moral desires? Well, like the law, for example. He says, hey, follow this, right? And he desires for his people to follow it, and yet they don't, mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, does that, does that impinge on his sovereignty? right? Because his people are not doing what he said. Um, those are, you know, I, I, that, that might be part of the answer is, is, is I, you know, I, I struggle with that. I would struggle with that, that with, with that passage. Um, it's not and two I'm, five. And, and what then, is it? I'm blanking on it. Oh, it's four. Yeah. It's two, four. Let me, let me just read this for, for people. Uh, first Timothy two, one, First of all, then I urge supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So I see that and I say, okay, the, so here, here's my answer to this conundrum for me. And it's not a total answer. And you're going to see where this answer falls short of being complete, but I think it's accurate. He says in verse four, he desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All right. Now verse five, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then he goes in to explain the gospel and the substitutionary atonement. So my explanation of this is he desires all men to be saved but he has only allowed one way of salvation, and that is Jesus. And so he only desires that all men be saved if it's through Christ, and there is no other way. Now, obviously, that's a biblical doctrine, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that is down the line Christianity 101. There's one name under heaven by which we must yes. be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. He who does not believe in the Son is judged already being in his sin. I'm summarizing. But, okay, fine. God desires all men to be saved, but only to be saved through his one and only beloved son. That still leaves open the question, why doesn't he funnel everybody through his one and only beloved son yeah. if he desires all men to be saved? Yeah. It's a tricky one. 
Yeah, and and you have you know Romans nine, you know, in 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 that you know you have vessels for common use and vessels for for glorified use. And God right? set it up that way. And God does, and, and I don't have an answer for that. And I think part of a, a lot of this, and and this may sound like a cop out, I don't think it is. But a lot of it is, is that there are complexities to God that we are not going to be able to answer. Mm-hmm. And so, like you mentioned, like you mentioned before, if your God can fit between your ears, then you don't really have a God, mm-hmm. right? You may, or you have a God made up in your own image and that kind of a thing. So there are things where we have to, at some level, go, I don't know. All I know is what's, what's been revealed, you know? And, yeah. that, and so, so that's, and, 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 and so I don't, you know, I wish I had more satisfying answers to some of these to some of these passages. And the know? typical kind of uh, institutional Calvinist answer to this drives me nuts. I don't like it. And it's basically, oh, he's talking about the church. He desires all the church to be saved, and they will. And I'm like, that's not what he said. Well, and 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 another answer might be is what's the difference? What what is? Um, and, and we have to go back to that. You, made me, you might need to correct me because I was looking at a couple other passages as well. What the definition of all means. Is that all men without exception or all men without distinction, right? That's, that's a great way to put that. Because if you have all kinds of men, that gets down to the principal heart of what Paul had been ranting on in the entire New Testament, that yeah. you don't have to conform to being a Jew, a.k.a. men. You don't got to get circumcised and... And yet you can you can still follow after Christ, right? All kinds of men, and that is right. an, that is an a a good that is a acceptable use of that particular that particular phrase. All grammatically, yeah. yes. And I've I've heard I've heard that argument too. I, I think that one crumbles under context because he's not talking about ethnicities there. He's not talking about types of people. He's talking before that, right? Uh, right before that, about uh, rulers and kings and those in high positions that they may live a godly life, right? And so he's like, hey, pray for them. God desires even these guys to get saved. So if we're going to say all kinds of people, it seems that he would mean the high and the low rather than the Jew and the Gentile, like contextually. I don't know. You so know I, mean, but you could, I mean, I could also say, well, God did obviously desire for some because those in, fair, those in Caesar's household in Philippians chapter four got saved. Yep. Right, and I mean Nebuchadnezzar is, had a moment. Yeah, yeah. So if if you're saying, "Hey, pray for these kinds of people," it's not outside of the realm of God's power, so that th- that these men don't get saved. God can save them. Mm-hmm. God desires to save them, and so I, you know, it, it's again in in some ways this is an argument that goes round and round, right? And I just because you know, the text isn't super specific, yeah. right? And, and that's one of the reasons it challenges my theological system is because any absolutely. any conclusion that you have. Seems to me that any conclusion you have there is going to be based on a connection that you have to make yeah. that the, that this particular text doesn't make. So you got to connect yeah. it to other texts, and then there's debates about which text you should connect to this to, yeah. and, and so on. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tricky one. In the yeah. end, oh, you know what? My uh, my pastor's growing up. See, I was raised like a super dispensationalist. Woo! We we liked charts yes. and math. In fact, um, you were uh, you said something on Sunday about like, oh, they didn't teach me math in seminary, right? I, I went across the aisle and I went to, I leaned over to Greg and I said, he should have gone to a dispensational seminary. They'd have taught him a oh. lot of math. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> but, I went to a dispensational Bible oh, college. Oh, did you really? Yes, wow, I did. they failed. So they, uh, <laughs> but they, they like to systematize everything, right? Everything has these, like, in, in my loving opinion, these endless divisions and distinctions. Like every time there's a different word, it has to be a different doctrine and stuff like that. But one thing that might be helpful, and again, this is imposed on the text, but it's, I would say it's a guess, but it's probably a good one. 
they would talk about the will of God, the desire of God. And they would say he's got his, and I got to try and remember these categories, right? He's got his decreed will, and then he's got his permissive will, mm-hmm. and then he's got something like his... Um, Is it his moral will? Is that one of them? It might have been. There was, there was okay. a third one that it, it was something, it was more like non-negotiable. It was like his, you know sovereign will or something like that. Like this is what's mm-hmm. going to happen in the end. And so they would say that this passage is operating in his, um, his decreed will, not necessarily his enforced will. Right. Okay. So when God sends people to hell, they would connect that to say like Ezekiel, uh, 18, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Mm-hmm. So he's doing it. And yeah, that's a choice he's making, but it's not something that he does with glee. Yeah. So they would say he doesn't desire to do that. So then you get into this thing like, well, in some sense, of course, he does desire to do it because he did it and God does all his holy will. But in another sense, he does it with grief because he doesn't take yeah. any pleasure in the death of the wicked. So that's a possible answer. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the, the even though Hebrews is my favorite book, the mm. warning passages in Hebrews, um, I think that they definitely can mess with my theological paradigm or yeah. my theological system. The whole idea of the perseverance of the saints or something, which is sometimes been also called eternal security. I think there's a, there, it's true, but um, the the idea that, you know, someone can fall away, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, the text does say, you know, for example, take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's addressing Christians, right? Yeah, or Christians in name only, maybe, or something like that, you know, but you have a mixed crowd of people. Um, you have the the warning passages about, you know, if you forsake the sacrifice, then what do you have left, right? And so you have judgment, and that's it, you know, and it seems to be a very, um, very chilling passages. Mm-hmm. That, and so the warning passage in Hebrews, I, I think I have an answer that I'm comfortable with. But the thing that I find interesting is, and, and this is where um, I default to what Tom Schreiner has said, is that you know, our, the, our, our Arminian brothers who are concerned about people losing their salvation, they are reading the text. Yeah, they have a point. Right? They have a point. And, and I, don't, I don't disagree that they have a point. And even, uh, even friends who would probably even want to say, hey, you got to be careful. I said, yeah, absolutely be careful. We should examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith. But I think the interesting part is when, especially in, in Hebrews ten, where it seems to be one of the most scariest ones. If you forsake, then you got nothing. The idea of yeah, it, there is nothing except for what Christ has given us. And if in the logical the logical discussion there is, if you're saying that this sacrifice wasn't enough, what do you have left? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all those warning passages. They they I mean they you know it's it's getting into fall and we're getting close to the spooky time of the season and those definitely can be. Spooky. Yeah. You know? I don't have a problem with those like I anymore, like I used to. And this is, my answer to that is a little bit experiential. So it's mm-hmm. it's maybe less exegetical, which is why it's maybe not on perfectly solid ground. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's accurate. When I became a pastor and I saw people who had been professing Christians for decades, yeah. unregenerate, and then get saved because of the fear of God from a warning, I was like, I get what the author of Hebrews was doing now. Mm-hmm. He was evangelizing the church. And how do you, like, so there's an old saying, I don't know where it came from, that uh, the job of a preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Yeah. Um, so that's what the pastor, I'll call him, who wrote Hebrews is mm-hmm. doing here. He's saying, look, some of y'all are trusting the wrong thing, the wrong associations, the wrong rituals, the wrong sacrifices mm-hmm. for your salvation. Precisely. Here's the deal, guys. You could burn in hell with a Christian name tag on. Yeah. Right? 
And so don't, don't be doing that because if you fall away from this, like look at everything that God has given you. If you fall away from this, if you're unregenerate after having this many offers made to you, you're, you're witnessing and participating in the miracles of the Holy Spirit and you go Judas, where do you think Judas is at right now? Yeah. And like the, the warning passages used to kind of freak me out with my eternal security you know, uh, uh, background, which I hold to wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. But then, man, I was like, when I just learned more about people and how mm -hmm. the church actually operates and the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares yeah. and all of this kind of, I'm like, I get it. Yeah. He's, he's going after the church. Well, and I think that, you know, I mean, Calvin did this when he, when, cause I, you know, when I would study these, I looked at Calvin, right? Calvin basically said that these are the warning, these are warnings to, to keep us on the rails, right? That was the, well, yeah. And that, yeah. that's the explanation that you gave earlier, right? Yeah. Like the warnings are guardrails with spikes on them. And yeah. that's the guarantee that we stay on the rails. Yeah. And yeah. it's like a reverse psychology thing. Well, and it's in the same way when we're, when we're teaching our children, right? It, it's not necessarily my goal to like spank my kid. In fact, I give them the warning so I don't have to spank my kid. But at some points, you know, it, now the analogy obviously breaks down because at some point we end up do, we end up sometimes spanking our children. Great. First like we that. get pulled off of YouTube and now you're going to get arrested. I know. Uh. <laughs> That's okay. Statute of limitations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but blue in, states suck. Yeah. Sorry. So, so in all of that, you see, okay, maybe the, you know, to, to, to look at what he's laying the argument down and saying, look, don't, don't neglect the one sacrifice that can save you. Yeah. Don't well, forget yeah. that. Like when you're, when you're telling your kids something, you know, like the, the common example, don't play in traffic, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to die. You tell them they're going to die. So they don't die. Yeah. Right. It's a scared straight program. Yeah. 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 So there's that. Okay. So I got first Timothy two, four, which you kind of shared. You got the warning passages in Hebrews. Mm -hmm. I got one that it's, it's a, a cluster of, of texts that, um, very much pushes back against a reformed understanding of soteriology, which is the seeming rejections of the Holy spirit. I don't, I don't know how to square away. Like I've never, I've, we've talked about this before, like yeah. a year ago, but I've never been able to sign on to the doctrine of irresistible grace as it's articulated most of the time, mm -hmm. right? As it's usually articulated is, well, if God chooses you and draws you, then you're going to see such wonderful beauty that it will be irresistible because you've got a regenerate heart that cannot refuse it, right? I'm like, okay, hey, that, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of logic to that. But then I got Acts 7, right? Where Stephen's on trial and he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That is kind of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to see the work of the Holy Spirit active and then to assign it to the devil, reject it, and being a part of God's people, turning away from that, which is what Hebrews 6 is warning about, right? So you got, uh, and then you got Matthew 23, which is where Jesus is lamenting. I think Luke 11 also, where Jesus is lamenting over, if you're looking at Acts 7, I think it's 58 or 59. No, I'm checking out, uh, I'm checking out what Stephen said. Oh, okay. So Matthew 23, I think it's also Luke 11, might be Luke 13, where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem and he says, you know, I would have gathered you together as a hen gathered her, gathers her, her chicks under her wing. You wouldn't come. You wouldn't do it. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, how do you take all of these passages and still come away with this idea of, people are legitimately called to salvation and yet held fully responsible for their rejection. So that one pushes back against me because I'm like, because I think, I think predestination is a thing. I think it's pretty clear, right? Like I got all these supporting passages for it. Then how do you square that away with this rejection that he holds them responsible for and seems to have been their, their doing and their undoing. Right. So that, that, uh, that one challenges me. Yeah. And I mean, 
you know, it's interesting because I, 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 I hear those and, and this could be my reformed reflexes kicking in, you know, like things like when Stephen's confronting the, the, the Pharisees and those about those and the, and the, and the Sanhedrin, right. Or whatever that, that, that is, you know, he's even saying you are an uncircumcised of heart, right? Yep. There's no, the circum- so the circumcision of the heart has not happened. Right. Right. They are unregenerate. Uh, exactly. Yep. So, um, so there hasn't been that work. They can see the effects of they can see the effects of the work of the Holy Spirit, but they mm-hmm. cannot they cannot understand them. I think of First Corinthians, I think it's chapter one, where the natural man cannot understand yep. what is going on because they are moronic or they are folly to yeah. him. Right. So so it's it, two, by the way. I think it's, it's first Corinthians two, two 14 yeah. and fifteen. Probably. Yeah. So but but then and this is more of a logical argument than a biblical one, I'll admit. If Okay, so the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit had not happened in these Pharisees. Okay, yeah. what then were they resisting? If they were, if they were not being drawn unto salvation, what then were they resisting? What were they? Um, I mean, being—I would say they're—they're—they're they're, they're resisting. They're resisting God. They're resisting what they have been raised in. And yet they're missing it, right? They're mm-hmm. resisting it. it, 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 it so I, I don't. In order, in order to yeah. resist a force, there has to be a force, yeah. right? Is is what I'm saying. So if mm-hmm. like I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, like yeah, they were uncircumcised of heart, they hadn't been born again, so of course they're resisting the Holy Spirit because mm-hmm. that's what unbelievers do. Yeah. And yet there was a Holy Spirit there, there. There was Holy Spirit activity there in order for them to resist. And so how do we say that there's irresistible grace when the grace of God has? appeared I to them. See what you know what I mean? Saying. Yep. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. So maybe but I'm just in a logical spiral here. I don't know. I would say, and I, and I think if I'm, if I'm tripping, going back into my re- reformed reflexes is that once regeneration happens, mm-hmm. it's impossible to resist. Well, that would be to undo it. And then we're into an eternal security issue. Yeah. Right. But what I'm yeah, saying so is we're talking so, about, about yeah. not getting saved here. Yeah. yeah. So the, I, I, you know, I think, um, and maybe this is boiling back to maybe some of Luther's arguments in bondage of the will, right? If the will is still in bond, if the bill, if the will has been freed, it is going to shout out by the way to bondage yeah. of the will. Yeah. Great book. Oh yeah. Especially yeah. if you like Luther calling Erasmus stupid and an idiot and everything <laughs> yeah. like that. The intro yeah. was a little spicy. Yeah. 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 I think, I think obviously once we're, once we're saved, Christ is Lord. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And, and all of that leading up to that though. Yeah. Right. Leading up to that moment of, of salvation. It's, it seems like a little bit of, uh, like a, like a, this is going to sound really bad. It seems like a fabricated scenario because it's like, well, you're being drawn, but you're not being regenerated, but you're resisting the draw so that you won't be regenerated. So there's a conflict. It's like, yeah, of course there's a conflict. Somebody's like, somebody's resisting God. I don't see why this is a problem. I don't see why we have to say it's irresistible because obviously once you're saved, it is, I I don't know that. Yeah. I, I don't know how to put all that in a line. It, it seems to me to be in a cluster mm-hmm. and I, I want to put it in a line. Yeah. And I've had trouble doing that. So I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the, the look, speaking as someone who feels very confident in his reformed, I like how I said that reformed reformed as my, and my, and my, that's the French reformed, way to say it. Reformed. 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 I can't even do it right. <laughs> but, but someone who's very confident in my, in my reformed soteriology, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got to admit that there are there are spots where logically I I, I fail, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm not able to grasp all those things. But I think that the, the beauty of it is, is that again, I was just boiled down to Romans nine sixteen is not therefore dependent on man's desire or effort, but God who has grace and mercy. I'm just begging God for His grace and His mercy and all of this, 
And yeah, and John one thirteen, same thing, right? Yeah, 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 man. I it's every. I think the point for the listeners here to take away is every theological system has its limitations, right? Mm. Because what we're doing in a theological system is we are we are playing mm-hmm. Tetris with a lot of truths and figuring out how they fit together. Yeah. And at some point, there's just yeah. a limit in our ability to do this. So yeah. if, if one thing I've said many times, if you can't point out the difficulties or weaknesses in your own system or where you might be wrong or something like that, you're arrogant, right? So yeah. <laughs> you don't adopt a system before you see, yeah. well, uh, like Schreiner was saying, right? The, the counterpoints to it. Because people that disagree with us are going to have good points, mm-hmm. right? Worth considering. These people love Christ. Mm-hmm. They're reading their Bibles. I think some of the most amazing and helpful, um, even though they are challenging, are some of the debates, even for example, between like James White and Michael Brown. Those are awesome. Those are awesome. And they're these good men, just going at they it. love each other. Yeah. And you can tell that. I mean, they're cracking jokes at each other. I mean, this is not like Luther and Erasmus where like Erasmus It was like, like, I will fight you yeah. if I see you in public. Yeah. Catch me outside. Right. You know, that kind of I got a blade <laughs> in my cheek, dog. I'm going to cut you. <laughs> yeah. But you have... But you have like these these two guys, you know, James White, who absolutely reformed of the reform. So yeah. reformed, he wears a bow tie. He's a poster child. Yes, right. Yeah. And then you have Michael Brown, who is, you know, again, very much into uh, not necessarily non-reform, but he is. He labels himself Arminian. Yeah, he labels himself Arminian, you know, all that kind of stuff. And these men can graciously debate these various issues. Intelligently. And do it well. Yeah. Well representing both sides. Michael Brown is not necess- is not this straw man for, you know, James White to like, you know, not a t- tomato can. Like that, you know, I saw not- I saw James White do a tomato can uh debate once. It was sad. Oh. Cuz really? he wasn't he wasn't nice. Like the oh. thing the thing about about Michael Brown is that like when he's talking to Muslims and Mormons and Catholics and stuff, like non-Christians, right? Yeah. He's very charitable and he's he's clear, but he's he's congenial. When he's talking to, I mean, the Michael Brown thing is an exception, but when he's yeah. talking to to people who are just like arrogant Christians oh, about some, like destroys them, King James onlyism or something, oh, yes. he loses all decorum, and I'm like, dude, I, I, it's it's hard to listen to you. Like, you're right about everything you say, but I can't listen to you right now. Yeah. Well, and then and that and and what's sad is sometimes those are the videos that get popular on like YouTube because it's like, watch James White own the libs or own the day. Yeah, you know, he's got like, the sunglasses on, like James White, all caps. Ex- Exposes um, KJV onlyism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just uh, yeah. another reason that it's kind of great that our podcast isn't too big. I know. Yeah. So, so share this, like it, give it five stars if you think we earned it, and that'll push it out in the algorithm to a much bigger audience that we kind of don't want, but we love <laughs> we love the audience that we have, and uh, Jesus, who we love even more, deserves what, Pastor Ben? Disciples. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You know we're changing this, right? You can find out more yes. about us on our app, social media. Go read Proverbs, you stooge. We love him because he first loved us. We're not changing that part.